0: May God add his blessing to the reading of the scriptures this morning, and may the words from my mouth be acceptable. If you were to find yourself in a position where you had to create a whole new identity for yourself, who would you be? I wonder how many of you have thought about that. I've thought about it a few times, just for fun, what if? Oh, we have a six- and an eight-year-old in our house. We play a lot of what-if games. But you know, what would your new name be? What would your occupation be? Where would you live? I've decided a long time ago, because somebody called me by this name when I was a teenager. It was an elderly lady. Her name was Louise. And Louise always called me Alfred. Alfred. And she told people that my name was Alfred Gunkarski. So (laughs) if I had to (laughs) pick a new name, that would be my name, Alfred Gunkarski. And I would, I think, teach high school math. Now, why would I teach high school math? Because Jim Greening was able to do it for a lot of years, so it must be easy, right? (laughs) And I thought an easy job would be nice, you know. Just kidding, Jim of course i'm kidding but for people who enter the federal witness protection program these are really serious questions they're things that they really do have to do the federal witness security program was set up in 1971 and it was set up to provide new identities for witnesses who risk their lives by going to testify in criminal cases and since that program started around 19000 Witnesses and their families have been given new identities and new locations by the U.S. Marshals Service. Before a person is allowed to participate in this program, he or she must settle all debts that they have, and they must take care of any other obligations and leave as few loose ends untied as possible from their old life. Then they are reassigned to a city or a town where there is very little possibility that anybody'll ever recognize who they are. And they are encouraged to choose a new name which is which is similar to their old name. So see my old name would my new name would work just fine because it's kind of the same. And they even encourage you to you know make it a name with uh, the first few letters of your old last name and first name so that it makes it easier for you to get used to it. They also will help you to find a job, to find housing. It's a difficult thing to have to go through, so they provide counseling, and they also obtain all the paperwork for you necessary, like birth certificates and social security cards and so forth, with the new name. There are two rules, with no exceptions. Every relocated witness must follow these rules in order to stay safe and in order to remain in the program. Number one, you must never ever contact any of your old friends or colleagues. Number two, you must never ever return to your old town where you used to live. Creating a new identity. I can't imagine how difficult that would be. What a hard thing it would be to go through. And it's really no laughing matter. And yet, in some cases, People do it. They choose to change their identities for different reasons, much less serious reasons than a threat to their lives. At the turn of the 20th century, there was a young lady whose name was Cassie Chadwick. Cassie was able to borrow almost $2 million, which was a whole lot of money then, from banks and from wealthy individuals from from the Cleveland area. Now why did these people lend her so much money and these banks lend her so much money? Because she was able to convince them and she claimed to be the illegitimate daughter of business tycoon Andrew Carnegie. And these people believed her. And Chadwick said that when Carnegie, uh, the Carnegie family had paid her off to keep quiet about him having an illegitimate daughter. And finally the day came when she couldn't afford to pay these loans back and she had to face up to the truth, her real identity. The Carnegie family had never heard of Cassie. She was no relation to them and she ended up serving 10 years in prison for her little scheme. So identity can be a pretty tricky thing. Some of us spend our whole lives trying to answer the question who am I? Who am I? We think that if we can answer that one question, then our path in life will become much easier. Because we, when we know who we are, we have a better idea of what our values should be, what our priorities should be in this life. We have a clearer picture of how we should invest our time and our energies and our strengths. Think of any successful athlete This is part of her or his identity. Because they identify themselves as as athletes, they know that there are certain things they must do, certain ways they must spend their time and their energy in training their body and their mind for the physical challenges of their sport. Because they define themselves as athletes, they know also what is off-limits. Stay away from illegal drugs, tobacco, any substance that's going to do harm to their body. They can't afford to be couch potatoes. They can't afford to be junk food junkies. They can't afford negative thoughts and self-doubt. They have to be confident that they can do what they want to do in order to succeed. Their choices, their use of their time, their whole lifestyle reflects their identity as a successful athlete. Those are the ones who make it. How much conflict can be eliminated from our lives if we know our true identity? If we can stand up and say, this is who I am, and nothing I do or nothing you do can change who I am. According to our Bible passage today, we can do that. Today's passage that Jack read for us from 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3, was written by the Apostle John. John was a man who was once a member of Jesus's inner circle, one of those three that were the closest to him. Now he's an old man and he knows that he may not have a lot of time left to share the gospel message. The young churches in Asia and in the Middle East are struggling to figure out what it means to be followers, to be disciples of Christ. Many of them never knew Jesus, the man, when he walked this earth. They came to faith after Jesus had died and risen and ascended back to heaven. And so they are easily led astray by false teachers. And John really wants these new congregations to understand what it means to be a follower, to be a disciple of Jesus, and how to live out that identity in a world that is sometimes hostile. And this is his message to them. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Dear friends, we are children of God, he says, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies his or herself, just as he he is pure. Every year we observe All Saints Sunday, a day when we celebrate the lives of those good people who have influenced us and who have influenced our church. But we tend to distance ourselves from that word saint. We reserve that word saint for someone whose light shines brighter than ours, someone whose sacrifice goes deeper than ours, But the Bible tells us that as God's people, we are saints. Did you know that? You're a saint. Believe it or not, Dave, you're a saint. (laughs) He shook his head. He moved around so he got called. It's our identity, it's based on the fact that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. We spend a lifetime hoping to live up to that identity. Author Maxie Dunham says this. She says, the dynamic process of saint-making is to work out, in fact, what is already true in principle. I like that. But there's another title that we're also given, and it's a title that we're a little more comfortable with. I know I am. And it's just as important to claim as our identity. Children of God, that is who you are. That is who I am we are children of god god loves all of god's creation but more than the rest of it god loves god's people we're all part of god's family actress anna devere smith remembers one of the earliest lessons that her grandfather taught her he used to say if you say it often enough it becomes you I saw on the news in the last week or two a third grade teacher at Franklin Elementary School in Santa Barbara, California. Her name is Katie Boozer. Since her students have returned to in-person learning and they're back in the classroom, she has put together a chant that she takes them through before every test. And I hope you're able to see this because it's pretty amazing. She has her kids raise their hands. Hold up your pencils, she says. And say what I say. And then she says, I believe in me. And the kids say, I believe in me. I am strong. I am strong. I am smart. I am smart. I am capable. The kids say, I am capable. I can do hard things. I can do hard things. And then she reminds them that they have been doing hard things. For a year now. It isn't easy sitting in front of a computer. Is it sitting in front of a computer and going to school all day? No, it isn't. It's hard. It's a lot harder than sitting in class to keep your attention focused where it should be. And they've been doing those things for the past year. And her kids are doing very, very well in school because they believe in themselves and in their abilities. You, my friends, all of you, are doing well. And you can do hard things because you have been doing hard things for this past year. It's been difficult for all of us. But we're doing it. And we will continue to do it until this craziness is over. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But it shows the huge influence that words have on our actions, words have on our self-view, words have on our view of other people. What words do you use to describe yourself? Smart, friendly, trustworthy, good, kind? I hope so. You choose who you are, and you, you choose to see your life by the words that you use. So, I want you to all do something with me this morning. I want you to repeat after me. I am a child of God. I am a saint. I am loved. One more time. I am a child of God. I am a saint. I am loved. Do you believe that? I hope you do. Good. I hope you do if you really believe that you are a beloved child of God how can it change your life think about that how can it change your attitudes could it change your action toward yourself how you feel about you when you get up in the morning how you feel about other people how you feel about what you ought to do with your day there's a powerful meditation by William Arthur Ward called I am more that expresses the life that can come from a new identity as a child of God. Here's how it reads. I am more than happy, I am joyful. I am more than healthy, I am whole. I am more than alive, I am radiant. I am more than successful, I am free. I am more than caring, I am loving. I am more than tranquil, I am peaceful. I am more than interested, I am involved. I am more than adequate, I am triumphant. I am more than fortunate, I am prosperous. I am more than human, I am a child of God. What a difference it makes in our perspective when we really believe that we are a child of God, that we are unique and precious and blessed with an inheritance that we can never ever lose It's ours forever. How does a child of God raise a family? How does a child of God invest his or her money? How does a child of God treat their enemies? How does a child of God respond when they see injustice in the world or hunger or violence or death? Doesn't a child of God reflect God's priorities and values? Doesn't a child of God carry God's presence in any situation? You do, you know. You walk into a funeral. You are God's hands, feet, and mouth in that place. Yes, you're there to pay respects, but you're also there to minister to the family. You walk into a hospital room. You're God's representative there. Pablo, Casals, who was a famous cellist, said this, each second we live is a new and unique moment of the universe, a moment that will never be again. And what do we teach our children? We teach them that two and two makes four, and that Paris is the capital of France. When will we also teach them what they are? We should say to each of them, listen, kids, do you know who you are? You are a marvel. You are unique. In all the years that have passed, there has never been another child like you. Never will be again. Your legs, your arms, your clever fingers, the way you move. You may become a Shakespeare, a Michelangelo, a Beethoven. You have the capacity for anything. Yes, you are a marvel. And when you grow up, can you then harm another person who is like you, a marvel? We don't know God's plan for our future. None of us can know how it will all turn out. But we do know this. We are God's beloved children. We are saints. And we know that God wants to purify us by the power of God's Holy Spirit so that we grow to reflect God's glory more and more each day. And as our passage says, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him or her purifies her himself, just as he is pure. I am a child of God. I am a saint. I am loved. Let's claim our true identity today and let it be the source of an abundant, happy life. I invite you now to reflect on these words as you listen to the song that Jerry's going to play for us called, Who Am I?